Leafs Converts Hockey World. What is up? This is the Leafs Convo Podcast. I'm Norman James, your host. Thank you so much for returning to the pod to hear us out yet again. Mike and I are ready to collab on some Leafs Convo. I'm sure the 7-2 win that they just produced in New Jersey will come up. It was a dominant-style victory. All of the stars getting on the score sheet, except for William Nylander. He's just getting back, but what's his deal? Mike and I will discuss, plus Kyle Dubas talking to Pierre Lebrun about what the Leafs plan to do in terms of transactions and acquisitions going forward. We're happy to hear that he is not going to do what his predecessor did, sending away assets and opportunity for aging players who really didn't bring back much. Yes, more on that coming up. Mike's ready to go. I'm ready to go. I know you are too. So what do you say? Let's pod. The Leafs combo starts right now. And we are joined by my podcast partner in crime, Mike Ogello, the 7-2 Leafs Vic in New Jersey. All the top stars of the Maple Leafs scoring goals or assisting or being in on the play. It was a thing of beauty considering the team over the last, what, four or five games hadn't looked all that great. Yeah, they salvaged uh, to in, in part the the road trip. They end up two two and one, so they end up five hundred on the road trip, which, based on their previous record uh, on the road, is not great. But you know, you'll take five hundred on the road, and um, it was a nice bounce back effort. I think there was a, it was a complete uh, dominant performance against the team that is you know at the bottom of the Eastern Conference right now. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the big players showed up, you know, Tavares and Matthews and Kadri with the number of assists, but they also got production from that fourth line with Tyler Ennis getting a couple goals. So it was a, it was a really good effort and a way to cap off uh, a road trip that was, you know, sort of strewn with potholes, but uh, that they got through it. That win in New Jersey seemed to be a typical Maple Leafs win, which is nice to see. Did they do the things that you want, knowing that a lot tougher contests with greater consequences await. Well, I mean, you don't take things for granted and we've seen Leaf teams in the past go into places like Buffalo or play teams like Florida or whoever at the bottom of the standings and not be able to win, not just sort of mail it in. And it's refreshing that this team was able to bury a t- you know t- two teams uh, in, in terms of Carolina and uh, New Jersey on this road trip. Now, you know, they came up against a a really hot Alexander Barkov against Florida with the hat trick. So that cost them a point, but you know, they beat the teams that they needed to beat. Now they have to beat the teams mm-hmm. that they're going to need to beat in the playoffs, namely Tampa Bay and possibly Boston to, to really make some progress. So John Tavares scoring goals, Mitch Marner picking up assists, Nazem Kadri with three apples. I love that stuff. We have a, a little snippet from a recent podcast in which we praise Mr. Kadri, number 43, it's on the YouTube uh, Leafs Combo channel right now. I'll pop some links in. You can go find it. we got so much stuff on the YouTube channel. Mike, you know this because you're on most of it. Just explore. If you're on the YouTube channel, you just subscribed. Explore. Check out all of the stuff we've done, even some of our forgotten Leafs. Mike, we should try to get back into those. And um, some of our interviews that we've done, at least in the uh, beginning stages of this new phase of the Leafs Combo. I even use it as reference for, for us to, to go back and refresh my memory on some of the things that we've done it was uh tremendous to see mike that these guys were all contributing tyler ennis i mean he's a great fourth liner of seven goals on the fourth line but that's 
par for the course. Morgan Riley is 11th of the season. He's still in the Norris discussion right there among the top-scoring defensemen in the league. Marner, uh, he's scoring goals. He's almost in double digits now. Marlowe, how many goals is that for his career? Uh, 544. He's tied with Rocket Richard. <laughs> he just keeps on going, clearly um, in the twilight of his career, and he will have be unseated by... Uh, a dynamic Maple Leafs forward coming through the pipeline in the future. But for now, he's in it to win it with the Maple Leafs. Matthews is 17th. Tavares, 21. Huh, I'm looking on here. William Nylander is not <laughs> in the box score among the point getters. And I'm not pissing on him. What's going on with him? Could, because I'm sure there are stat people out there who can make a case for William Nylander being the best winger in the league since his return based on some of the things he's done, but at least statistically, we're not seeing him. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Mike, what have you noticed or what haven't you noticed from this guy? Well, that, that was the, I mean, I, I, I haven't noticed him much and that's, you know, he's on right now on the line with Marlowe and, and Kadri. And I'm sort of like I, yesterday, I, cause the, the, the talk regarding Nylander and his sort of ramp up to full speed was that it was going to take, and this came from like the sports science department of the Leafs, that it would take about 12 days. And yesterday was day 12. And, you know, he's out there, but he's not really contributing. He's made a couple decent passes. Um, I know he had a few assists in the one game against uh, Carolina, I believe, but really hasn't made any kind of large footprint. And, I can understand that because he didn't have a training camp and he missed two months of the season. But this is why I asked that question to Mike Babcock uh, when he was signed, the day he was signed, and he responded with a rather terse no in terms of my suggestion that, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Uh, that he should be playing that he should be playing in the American Hockey League for a couple of games, at least to sort of get up to speed. Well, we see what the results are. I mean, he's playing against NHL competition that is two months into a regular season, and he's lagging a little bit behind. Now, I think he'll snap out of it. I think he'll start scoring. I don't you know, doubt that he is the player that we have seen the first two and a quarter years in the NHL of his career. But it's a little unfair to put him in while everybody else is, you know, is at full speed when he's at three quarter speed. So I'm going to cut him some slack, but I think that they made a little bit of a misjudgment in not letting him play in the American hockey league, at least a couple games. I called for that to happen. That clearly didn't. I don't know why Kyle Dubas isn't calling me personally to consult with me and to get my ideas. (laughs) I'm at a loss, Mike. William Nylander was so built up. Um, during the impasse by the analytics crowd that as momentum started to build and more people began to attach themselves to this pro Nylander idea of him being one of the best, if not the best player in the league, the letdown here is that in reality, he's not Alex Ovechkin. He's not Connor McDavid. He's not Mario Lemieux. He's not Sidney Crosby. He's a great player based on the things that he's done over the first few seasons of his career. But he's not Mm -hmm. a superstar. And that is evident. Because if he were a superstar, I mean, he would be on the score sheet already. Like Austin Matthews comes back, he just gets it done. William Nylander is that second-tier guy. That doesn't mean he can't score 35 or 40 or have great... um, 
<clears throat> entry zone numbers or uh, make the guys better around him or be in a five-on-five dynamo at some point. But he became holier than thou. We created this image of him. Our understanding of him as a player had become embellished because of this impasse. And now that he's finally back on the ice, some people want to jump on him because he's not doing what the expectations were built up for him to do. And he's just slowly getting back into the groove. And, and I think we, we all kind of need to just let him get his, his legs, find his way. And for him, he's going to have to start to produce on any line that he is situated on. I hope his existence with the Maple Leafs isn't incumbent upon him riding shotgun or flanking Austin Matthews, and that's it. Well, I mean, that's the concern, and we'll watch what's going on. But remember, the the main criticism going, you know, while the contract negotiations were going on was when Matthews was out last year for 20 games, Nylander had three goals. I've always said he's a very good player, but he's a complimentary player, and he works the best with Matthews. And you can see that other players do that. That was my case of saying, okay, trade him at a certain point when his value is at its highest. Now, I think it'll still be high because I think eventually they're going to put him back with Matthews. He's going to score goals. But that that concern is what mitigates his value. But he's being paid as somebody who is going to have to score and right now he's not doing it, but I think he will. But I still think that down the road, he is somebody that this organization considers trading, and I don't care what was promised. There is no no-trade clause, and things change. LMFAO, Mike. LOL, Mike. Do not <sighs> mention William Nylander as a potential trade piece because that shows that you have um, avoided indoctrination into the society of Nylanderites. Okay? And that's not a good thing because – Everyone has to think the same thing. This is the Leafs combo. Norman James with Mike Augello. Uh, I watch Leafs Nation Network all the time. I have no life when I'm not working. It's either Leafs Nation Network or CNN, and CNN can just be ridiculous and depressing. So I watch the Leafs Nation Network, and I watch the whole feature on the Leafs mothers who are just having a good time in Tampa and in Florida and not chirping with people on Twitter or chirping with the media or making things worse for their Hockey playing Suns, and that was fantastic. Today I'm watching the recap of the Leafs and Devils. Today you're kind of a Jersey boy at heart, aren't you? Yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been to the Rock <laughs> once, and let's just say a, blo- a block outside of the Rock is like downtown Beirut. <laughs> so I, I got there as quick. I got out there as quickly <laughs> That's as possible. The best downtown Beirut, Michael. I love it when you get sarcastic and you get funny, man, because it's in you. Uh, anyhow, they threw up a, a Chiron uh, about. Freddie Anderson coming back to earth six and four. I mean, his record is what it is. The record's really not that big a deal. It's the other numbers. He had a 2.53 goals against with a 919 save percentage. November, even better. 202 GAA and a 942 save percentage. Now he's come back to earth, folks. Look out. 3-2-1 in December. A 357 goals against and an 892 save percentage. Is this just what a goaltender, any goaltender who starts and plays a ton of games traditionally does in a hockey season? Or is this perhaps a sign of Frederick Anderson um, slowing a little bit, uh, maybe not in a concerning way, but something to watch and also perhaps a byproduct of him maybe having to take on a bit more of a load? considering Mike Babcock doesn't exactly have 100% faith in the backup? A a regular season has its ebbs and flows, and each player 
has that as well. And we've seen over the you know, first two years of his leaf career, how Anderson struggled in October. Now he didn't do that as much this year. Uh, he's having a little bit of a struggle this year, but the, I think the team, the way the competition in, uh, that they're playing in terms of Boston and Tampa, those, those sort of augment his statistics. And I do think that, you know, the fatigue factor is out there. I mean, going even even going back to training camp, people were asking, well, how many games do you plan on playing Frederick Anderson? They asked this of Mike Babcock and Babcock said, well, it really depends on, you know, I mean, he didn't say Garrett Sparks, but he says it depends on uh, where we are in terms of playoff positioning and things of that nature. And what he's saying is if I have to play him to get wins, if I have to play him to lock a certain spot, I'm going to play him. Now, the only thing that they don't do is play him in back-to-back situations. But I do think, as you said, the, the confidence in Garrett Sparks is not as much there as I think maybe Kyle Dubas would like because Garrett Sparks has played six games. Three of them have been good. Three of them have been, have not been good. And there aren't any answers out there because there are no goaltenders available uh, in case somebody's hurt. But right now it's Sparks and it's Anderson. And I think Babcock has to use Sparks a little more. You think he should have played about 10 by now. I worry that we're going to have a point where there's a ramification of philosophy and ideas and execution coaching staff and management not necessarily jiving. Kyle Dubas has given Mike Babcock, Garrett Sparks, as his backup. Mike Babcock doesn't seem like he really has a lot of confidence in Garrett Sparks. So, guys, if, this, if you want to go deep into the playoffs and you want to win some extra games when Freddie Anderson's either tired, sick, or just needs a day off, you, you better get this thing figured out. And I, Look, the backup situation is real deal especially for a team like the Maple Leafs that hasn't won any playoff rounds. Kyle Dubas talking to the media. What did you make of Kyle Dubas's comments and how could you break that down to simplify them as to what he's saying and what he aims to do to improve this team? Well, I, I mean, he had the media scrum on Monday and then there was an interview with uh, Dubas from Pierre Lebrun in The Athletic yesterday. And the thing that was the most, sort of revealing of both of those situations was the, the fact that he is looking in a best case scenario to get Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner locked up before the trade deadline, because if he can do that, then he has some cost certainty and he knows how much he'll have to spend going forward. And basically what he said is, you know, I can't go out and make trade the trades that I want to trade with the uncertain future of not knowing what the cost point for Matthews and Marner is. So, I mean, if, if there's an uncertainty there and it goes into the off season, then you may not see as many moves as we would like uh, to upgrade the team. Now he, he also said that he doesn't like the, uh, the rental market. And if you look at the rental defensive market, it's essentially other than Tyler Myers in Winnipeg and Eric Carlson uh, in San Jose, who both of them will not be moved. And a guy like Anton Strawman, who will not be moved by Tampa are a bunch of 33 or over veteran defensemen who I don't think move the ball in terms of upgrading the Leafs blue line. I mean, Jay Bowmeister is on, it looks like he's on his last leg. So I I don't think he wants to go into the rental market. What Dubas is saying is I'm going the proper path of asset management. I'm not going to give up assets for guys who are going to walk away like 
they did with Brian Boyle and Thomas Buchanitz over the last two deadlines. What I'm going to do is if I'm forced to give up a first-round pick or a Casper Kapanen or an Andreas Janssen, I'm getting somebody who helps me for more than one year. And that is – that makes sure. sense. I mean, that's the, the that's the best case scenario. So, I I, I think they're targeting the Alex Peter Angelos yep. or the Colton Parecos or Pesci or Falk, those guys who have more than a year left, and that sure. is the smart so, way to go. In other words, he's saying I'm not risking anything other than standard risk. They're yeah, not going to roll mean, the dice on a a rental player, a short term player, to try to be the cherry on top to go and win this thing. And we may even see the Leafs do minimal dealings and hope for the best. Well, I, I think they're I think they're going to make deals. I I really do. But I think what he is saying, and I it, I completely agree with it, to give up a second round pick for an aging Thomas Buchanan <laughs> who could who what could not who could not play ten a Habs legend who who could not play ten games the next season. Okay, uh, so that 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 is that was just a, I I said an unwise move. I don't care how he played in the playoffs when he was playing between Marner and and, and Marlowe. You know, he great. He was a fine fill-in, but you gave up a you know a top sixty pick. Who advocated that trade for Thomas Plakanich? Who was the guy? Who, he, exactly. If he doesn't change his ways of thinking and how this team is going to be comprised and how ultimately succeed or fail. Uh, and, and have mm-hmm. that align with what management is thinking, we're going to have some problems going forward. I think they're relatively on the same page, but I think, you know, Dubas is in control of who they go out and get. And it's if they go out and trade for a top four defenseman, like a Pesci or a Petrangelo or a Pareko, Mike Babcock cannot treat him like Frankie Corrado or Josh Levo. The right. guy has to play in the lineup and he will. So, I mean, there's going to be that tug of war. They can, he can do that with, you know, players on the bubble. But when it comes to players that are you know, making significant money, I mean, look at, the, look at how he tra- has treated the return of Neilander as compared to treating guys like Justin Hall and, and, and uh, Freddie Gauthier. They're, they're different things. Babcock knows that this player is signed for long term, and it's in, his, it's in his benefit to get him to work as part of his system. But there are, that, there are differences in philosophies. You know, a leopard doesn't change his spots. Babcock, mm-hmm. I think if all things are considered, he would have wanted to keep Curtis McElhinney. He probably would have wanted to keep Roman Polak on the blue line. I think, you know, when he talks about the playoff, the, sorry, the power play being their toughness, I think he's sending a message to Kyle Dubas that the power play can't be the toughness. I need some guys with size. And I think you may see Dubas go out and get those guys, but it'll be on the cheap where he spends his assets is for that defenseman who is going to be a part of this team for more than just a year. Uh, Mike Babcock and Kyle Dubas need to sit down and get on the same page. And I, I hope that they are in sync. I hope that their visions and of, of a champion and how it should be put together are relatively close. But I, I hope that Mike Babcock isn't requesting things or sending messages to his general manager through the media. And Kyle Dubas, in response, is just essentially sending his message to Mike Babcock through the types of players that he forces Mike Babcock to use. Before we go, anything else you want to add? Well, just to mention for the uh, the upcoming World Junior, uh, Ian Scott of Leafs 
uh, fourth round draft pick from last year. Uh, it was one of the two goalies selected. Uh, he's going to start one of the first two games that Team Canada plays this week. And it's very possible that um, Scott could be the starter over uh, Michael DiPietro, uh, who won a Memorial Cup. But it's it's sort of you know, it's going to be up to the the coach uh, uh, of Team Canada to decide which way. But you know you're going to see him. You're going to see Rasmus Sandin, who's had a great year in the American Hockey League. Unfortunately, you're not going to see Timothy Liljegren uh, because he had a high ankle sprain early this month and is unable to play. And by Dubas's comments, that high ankle sprain probably will prevent Liljegren from playing in the NHL this year. They, the plan was essentially to do what they did with Travis Dermott and call him up in January. And I, they, uh, you know, since he'll be out probably, you know, upwards of six, six weeks with a high ankle sprain, it'll set him back. And more than likely you won't see Liljegren until next yeah, year. That would have been nice to see him if he were the young cub being welcomed in by a group of grizzled, hungry, um, starving for a cup veterans. If it's just a, another kid joining a bunch of kids, I don't know if it would have been totally necessary considering the Leafs need to hold a, a spot or two on that blue line for players with a little bit more experience who can help level this team up and get it really uh, running towards the Stanley Cup. We'll see how it all plays out, Michael. Uh, be well, my friend. We'll talk to you hopefully before Christmas. That is it for this episode of the Least Convo Podcast. Thank you, Hands Emoji, Blue Heart. It means so much, your support. It's incredible. How do you listen to us, by the way, on one of the 20 premier podcast platforms you can find us on? Or where it all happens, the home base, youtube.com slash the Leafs Convo. Let me know, at Norman James TLC, or holler at me in the YouTube comment section. So that means you got to go to YouTube either way. Subscribe, we need you. You can reach me via email, theleafsconvo at gmail.com if you want to talk about sponsorship opportunities. We are looking for a title sponsor. We are looking for advertisers. Anything we can get our hands on to help strengthen and level up this project that we all love so much, the Leafs Convo. For Mike Ogello, I'm Norman James. We'll talk to you soon. The Convo's out.